the Omaha Bugle Global News Headquarters, this is the Global News Network with Senior Correspondent Jeff Weaver and Senior Correspondent Adam Von Romer. Mr. Weaver, once again, we're back at the Global News Network desk of the Omaha Bugle. I think today I want to talk about, I'm going to call this show the National Delusions Day. And I want to read you something I think is pretty interesting, if I may. Mm-hmm. In reading the history of nations, we find that, like individuals, they have their whims and their peculiarities, their seasons of excitement and recklessness. When they care not what they do, we find that whole communities suddenly fix their minds upon one object and go mad in its pursuit, that millions of people become simultaneously impressed with one delusion and run after it till their attention is caught by some new folly more captivating than the first. And first thing I want to point out is that's from a book called The Popular Delusions and Extraordinary Madness of Crowds. And it's about different market manias, starting with the tulip bulb mania back in like 1600. This book was actually, it's funny, it actually was authored in, I think, 1841. And it documents every single market mania in Europe during that period of time. And what's fascinating to me is while the progenitor of the mania has changed, the reaction, the essentially psychological attraction to this has not. So it's really regardless of whatever the subject matter is of the mania, whether it's tulip bulbs or gold or you know whatever it's been, that the psychosis that the population gets into to pursue it is the same over and over again. Oh, yeah. And what's astounding to me is the amount of rationalization that goes into it right up until the final death knell of whatever market or mania it was. You know, Adam, we all know that humans have an infinite capacity to rationalize stupid behavior. And... Uh, <laughs> I certainly would say that I have rationalized dumb decisions in the past. Perish the thought. (laughs) It is a crushing blow to you to know that I have made dumb decisions in the past, but there have been a few. It is amazing the ability that maybe it's almost a defensive mechanism or, or a protective mechanism for our fragile egos, but it's amazing the extent to which we can justify just absolutely stupid behavior. <laughs> but I would be willing to ante up a few of my own, let's say, psychosis over the last 60 or so years. But what's fascinating to me is it's almost like the mass hysteria. And you and I have been through a bunch of business cycles. We've seen all this. Like, for example, one of the reasons I originally got into real estate was I attended a workshop by a guy named Robert Allen who taught you how to go out and buy real estate using none of your own money. And I think it's funny, but being a stupid, uh, I don't know, 18 or 19-year-old, well, guess what? I didn't believe you couldn't do it, so I went out and did it. And then fascinatingly enough, it became like the wave of the future, and everybody was out trying to buy properties with no money down. And, of course, that came to a screeching halt. Well, let me just ask you a question. When And you see those people going around today on uh, a seminar bandwagon where they're offering to get you into the wonderful world of real estate for no money down. And other than stealing money from your kids' college funds or your mother's change drawer or whatever, uh, where was this money to come from that you as the real estate investor were not actually having to provide? Well, one of my favorites of all time was a strategy called overfinance. Now, and here's the premise. Real estate always goes up in value. Oh, do oh, does it? <laughs> yeah. So if you really? overfinance a piece of property today, 
it's undoubtedly going to be worth more in the future. So it's kind of like the United States government. Don't worry about it. As long as we're printing the money, we're all set. We'll take care of that in a few years. Well, that could get us into a side excursion talking about, uh, is it really worth more in the future or is it nominally worth more just because they've printed a ton of dollars to (laughs) flood the economy? I think you and I are on the same, let's stop the press's bandwagon here and Mm -hmm. maybe convert them to newspapers and magazines instead of printing essentially worthless inflated money, or should I say deflated money, or more accurately, what, devalued money. But I thought it was fascinating because we watched that thing. And then we've seen, for example, I remember one day I was coming back from a trip somewhere and the young man that was bringing me back from the airport proudly told me how he had just purchased two condominiums in a highly regarded condominium development in Fort Lauderdale, pre-construction. And he put his life savings down on the two of them. And when they were finished, he was going to turn around and make a couple hundred thousand dollar profit on each one of them. I see. Well... He didn't count on the market correction. You mean prices do go down for real estate? Or how about capital costs goes up and everybody stops buying condos? I just had a curiosity about when did this incident occur? 2006. Oh, right before the bottom dropped out. (laughs) I had a young man that was working for me that was making a killing in the stock market. He owned Pets.com and he owned Enron stock and he was making a killing. And then he wasn't. Then he was killed. Oh, yeah. That was a $70,000 life savings of a young man who worked as a mate on a boat here in Fort Lauderdale. And Mm -hmm. he did the right thing. As a young man, he squirreled away money for his future Mm -hmm. and thought he was going to make some good investments, got on the tech bubble, and rode it right into the ground. Well, in all fairness to the people who got sucked into Enron, they were cooking the books anyway. So that is, I mean, it doesn't excuse you from not diversifying your portfolio. I mean, it's really rather dangerous, obviously, to bank on making a home run with one or two stocks. But even if you looked at, the company is obviously, if you looked at their books, doing a lot better than it was in actuality. And mm-hmm. uh, so that makes it doubly difficult. And, and that probably makes you think uh, even more that you need to be diversified. So you're not betting the ranch on one or two or three things, any one of which could tank. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's look at, for example, in South Florida today, right now, you buy mm-hmm. a building, you can't afford to buy insurance because insurance has literally tripled or quadrupled in the last 12 months. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. And, of course, the property taxes tend to scale upward accordingly every year. If you own a commercial property, there's no real restraint on the imagination of the tax authorities. <laughs> there's no save my industrial building movements? No, apparently uh, the population as a whole is not sympathetic to commercial property owners, particularly if they're their own landlords. But you're right. I mean, there's that. And, of course, insurance in Florida has gotten really problematic. I mean, some people, if they don't have a mortgage, they may go bare, as they say. That has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with your proclivities uh, when you're in a romantic situation. It just means that you're not carrying insurance. (laughs) Well, and you know what, Jeff? That immediately brings up a question to me about exposing yourself. If you don't have the insurance, then you're creating a possible situation where you've exposed yourself to the vagaries of the weather and natural disasters. Well, you know, Adam, I think one thing, if you're really in that kind of situation, if you're fortunate enough not to have a mortgage, maybe in Florida, ultimately, you're going to see a lot of people 
trying to do sort of a stripped-down policy where it covers casualty stuff except for wind because, mm-hmm. as you know, wind's like 80% of the premium. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if you can get that kind of policy down here, but that may be what happens. Is people are just going to have to start making some choices as the insurance keeps going up and up and up. Well, we were in this jam before, Jeff. This is nothing new. Mm-hmm. I mean, after Andrew, it got to the point where the only people that could actually transact were the big buyers who had nationwide portfolios and blanket policies mm-hmm. because they're underwriting the policy as if the industrial buildings in Peoria, Illinois are... Well, they could spread the loss of a building in Florida out amongst a whole bunch of other properties, too. Exactly. Yeah, that was exactly. their benefit. Well, you know yeah. what? We got sucked down that rabbit hole. But yeah, mm-hmm. let's get back to my extraordinarily delusions here. And, you know, I think this delusion, it has a tendency to carry forward in so many different fields. Like I'm looking at the headlines today about it took 18 votes to get a Speaker of the House and he's going to bring us out of the wilderness. And I'm like, it doesn't seem to me that delusion is limited to just markets and things. I mean, I think we have a delusional Fed right now. It was funny. I saw a headline there weighing in on commercial real estate property values. I may be mistaken, but I don't recall commercial real estate and property values being part of the purview of the Federal Reserve Board. No, I think the original charter, when they set the Fed up in, what was it, 1913, uh, they wanted uh, the Fed to take such efforts to maximize employment, stabilize prices, and uh, try to keep a handle on long-term interest rates. And that was the mandate. I don't think there's anything in there about real estate prices. Well, weren't they also partially enacted to prevent massive runs on banks and bolster the confidence in the banking system nationwide? Well, that's an interesting point because depression, a lot of the bank failures, which I really didn't realize this, were caused because there was no central clearinghouse for checks. So if you right. had a check from Bank A, you took it to Bank B, Bank B might not honor it. So parcel of what came out of the Great Depression, the legislation was for the Fed become kind of like a central clearinghouse so right. that you wouldn't have that problem again and have a lot of banks be put out of business just because other banks wouldn't cash your checks. You don't have that issue anymore. Mm-hmm. So, But none of that mandate seems to have anything to do with the valuation of commercial property. No, but I guess they may be coming to the realization that all the billions or nothing, trillions of dollars that have been flushed yeah. into the system. Uh, have, <laughs> a billion here and a billion there, and soon yeah. you're talking about some real money. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's not a billion in coins in the couch this morning, so it's not really that impressive anymore. But, um, Was it bitcoins? <laughs> oh, it just disappeared. Yes, I guess it must have been a bitcoin. Damn. It was, uh, what is that, crypto? Yeah, or cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency? I, mean, I think what's going on, what you talked about here and there, is there's so much liquidity that's been pumped into the system. You know, they were fearful. You know, we went through the 2008-2009 Great Recession. I don't know what was great about it, but that's what they call it, a Great Recession. I didn't enjoy it particularly. I found it not very enjoyable either. And then we had the COVID shutdown and, you know, where the economy was essentially paralyzed for the better part of a year. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the Fed did what the Fed has done in the past. They dropped the interest rates to zero to try and uh, bolster economic activity and minimize costs to businesses. But in doing so, of course, the cost of borrowing goes basically to zero and it encourages a lot of people to borrow money, surprise, surprise, for to go buy stuff that they might not have ordinarily bought and had to pay a normal interest rate on mm-hmm. the loan. Or alternatively, it made it possible to, in their minds, to buy 
you know, they, they're thinking in their minds that as a buyer who's borrowing money from the bank that they can go buy a property, you know, commercial mm-hmm. real estate, a property mm-hmm. of some type. Mm-hmm. And because the interest rates have been dropped, so they, well, I can buy more than I might have otherwise been able to do so. And of course, you and I know that the sellers typically don't sit around leaving the prices in place when the interest rates go to zero. They <laughs> jack the prices yeah. up. So. We saw that commensurate compression in cap rates. In fact, you know, it's like I was sitting there looking at something the other day and it's like people, sellers, are still thinking they're going to be able to sell assets in today's real estate environment for 4 and 5% cap rate. Now, how do you do that when your cost of capital is 7.5 or 7 and 3 quarters percent? Kind of difficult, I would think. Well, do you know anybody who's looking anxiously to buy a building and immediately lose money? I know many people who are very good at doing that, but I don't think they (laughs) intend to do that. Yeah, I don't think that was the plan, right? No, not usually. Well, the other thing to your point is while we're doing the everybody hide at home COVID dance, the Federal Reserve, as you said, is basically lowering the interbank lending rates, et cetera, the most publicized of all, and they're creating a giant liquidity issue. You know, we're throwing money out at people. And as you pointed out, when there's happy dollars flying around, sellers don't just sit there and go, oh, well, people have a lot more money. I'll just keep my prices where they're at. What do they do? They, they naturally respond to the excess capital in the marketplace and raise the cost of whatever, or the, not the cost, but the price of whatever they're selling. Well, let's face it. If you were in the market, you were going to get a John Deere tractor because you wanted to have a big tractor to cut the grass in your yard. And everybody, the Biden administration decided they wanted to go down in history for making everybody a millionaire by giving everybody $1 million. Well, suddenly there's all this extra cash option around and you're going over to buy your billion dollar tractor or whatever, well, the seller of the tractor is going to be saying, everybody's got another million dollars. So I'm not going to take these. There's still the same amount of stuff in the economy. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. take just a million dollars. I'm going to take two million dollars or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the incremental change is. And I think people don't get that. But I mean, sometimes there's a lag when people figure that out. But um, in general, people do figure out that there is more money sloshing around the economy. And I think that's happened certainly with valuations of commercial real estate or mm-hmm. any speculative asset. Well, you know, uh, in lieu of buying that new John Deere tractor, what I was thinking about doing is getting mm-hmm. pygmy goats. I, well, I have a fenced yard. Mm-hmm. Pygmy goats are adorable, and they eat grass. That's a good and point. And they, they're green. They're ecologically friendly. They do uh, have flatulent issues, though, don't they? Well, it's a minor. They're almost carbon neutral, let's face it. Well, the only reason I ask is apparently some people have cited cow flatulence as a big methane gas issue, and I did not really realize that was such a pressing global ecological threat. Well, you know what? I can probably guess where there's a lot of flatulence, and it's not necessarily in the uh, posterior of a cow. I think there's a nice little place up in the northeast. That's another story. So let's talk about... Now, the Fed is weighing in on, I mean, things that obviously have no relevance to their job performance. And the other thing that I think is fascinating is now we've seen how many administrations try to whip inflation, but how many of them were simultaneously giving away money and printing money? Well, certainly not on the scale of what we've seen in the last few years. I think I saw somewhere where the Fed balance sheet, you know, maybe 10 years ago was, I don't know, $700 billion or something like that. I mean, that number is not totally accurate, but I think the scale is pretty much in the ballpark. And now it's up to $9 trillion. And it's been sitting at $9 trillion for the last few years. They stopped doing their quantitative easing, you know, where they were just throwing more money into the economy in mm-hmm. the hopes that things get better. 
you know, sort of like the throw it against the wall and hope that something sticks theory of governance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Fed's balance sheet of pretend money or, you know, I don't even know what you call this stuff, but it's basically imaginary uh, assets has kind of been sitting around the nine trillion mark. And somebody I was reading somewhere that it really hasn't started to be reduced at all. It's much easier to add to the pile than it is to take it out because then you're having to shrink. You're having to pull money out of the economy, which affects economic activity and Mm-hmm. Presumably the interest rates go up further, and politicians get very nervous about that sort of thing. So, in again, in lieu of them selling securities and pulling currency out of circulation, ergo shrinking the money supply and causing a increase in interest rate and the cost capital, basically the price you pay for money, they're mm-hmm. just kind of like, don't look over here. Don't look behind the curtain. Just stay right here. But again, you know, the thing that I think is interesting, and you and I have talked about this before, it's like, oh, yeah, but GDP's up. Right. Really? Okay, great. And you know my theory. If I want to know what's going on in the economy, I go talk to the guy who's mowing the lawn, cleaning my pool, or you know, the guy fixing my car, et cetera, et cetera. And today, you know, I saw just another crack in the economy. World's largest commercial real estate company, C.V. Richard Ellis, just announced that they had, I forget what it was, like 34% reduction in income. Year over year, you mean? Yeah, and it was just a phenomenal number. And they're saying that the recovery that they expected at the tail end of this year is now going to be maybe an interest rate reduction and recovery in the third quarter of 2024. Well, you know, Adam, those projections, as we know, are always very accurate and uh, never go awry. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you can have full confidence that in a year from now, they won't be saying maybe 2025 or 2026. The staggering number, though, I know. Let me oh, yeah. ask you a question, though. Is that more just the value of the deals? The number of deals are off. The major corporate participants aren't making decisions to buy more space or lease more space. And they're talking about reducing their transactional business footprint. Now, to me, well, that sounds like maybe there's something wrong in that particular field of Endeavor? That's a rather scary thought because, as you say, C.B. Richard Ellis is a national, dare I say, probably an international. Oh, no, they're international. The other one that I thought was particularly telling was the upper echelon was saying, and I love this, that they are going to look to continue to expand their business through mergers and acquisitions. You're talking about the corporate brass at C.B. Richard Ellis? Exactly. So they're going to bring other sinking ships into their sinking ship. Well, did you ever read Peter Drucker, the eminent business authority? Many years ago. Uh, he was certainly highly regarded. I think the Japanese have a very, I think he's the one they have a very prestigious uh, management award named after him that they give I'm, to. I'm 100% certain you are on the ball with that one. But here's what I thought was funny. Peter Drucker many, many years said that when management runs out of good ideas, the first thing <laughs> they seek to do is merge or acquire. Well, I guess I understand that because if you can't figure out how to grow your own market, then I guess you try and merge. I mean, how else do you do it? But mm-hmm. but if everybody's got the same negative dynamics, how does that really help you? Well, exactly. It's kind of like, okay, I need crutches, you need crutches, and together we need twice as many crutches. Together we got two pairs of crutches. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, if we get enough people on crutches, we could make a litter and bear someone up, you know? But it's like all this stuff is not without precedent. It's not like this cycle. It's not like this you know, economic upheaval is anything new. It's not it like, like 
like you're saying it's happened before, dare I say. Well, in the words of one of my personal heroes, a man without peer and certainly one of the greatest thinkers of at least the 20th century, Yogi Berra said, it's deja vu all over again. He had a lot of quotes, actually. Again, it's deja vu all over again. And I think about that. I mean, we had how many crises in our business lifetime? Five. Mm -hmm. And every seven to 10 years, we have a new crisis. We don't know what the progenitor will be, but you can bet that there will be a new crisis. You well, know? you're right. It's, it, it kind of coincides with the business cycle, right? The boom, well, bust, boom, bust, exactly. boom, bust. So the crisis is really what some would call a crisis. Others would just say it's just basically the downside, the uh, rationalizing of the economy. Exactly. Is you that got, a fair way to put it? Well, I think what you're starting to see is, you remember the irrational exuberance? Oh, yes. Uh, Mr. Greenspan's uh, uh, well, famous quote. Exactly. Well, I think the irrational exuberance has run out of steam. And now what's starting to happen, it's that old joke about, yeah, everybody's your friend until the rent is due or check comes for the dinner. It's now somebody's going to have to pay the tab. And I'm afraid that we're going to see some massive issues, especially in the banking industry, because they're having liquidity issues. They're not getting deposits. And if they don't well, have I, deposits, I, what do they lend? Yeah, but I'm, my understanding is part of that is to the extent they get deposits, they're having to pay more money on those deposits than they are earning on other assets, They keep that, like other loans that they did a couple of years ago at lower interest rates. Oh, those loans have tails, man. No, no, no. But what I'm saying, though, is if I was a bank and two years ago, I made a loan you know, that had, say, a 10-year balloon on it. And I did it at 4%. Yeah, and at 3.5%. And, and you've got right, to pay 55 Right. I have to pay 55 to get a deposit now. I've got a bit of a problem. So I wonder, you know, every time there's a crisis, the banks uh, then adjust their paperwork on their loans accordingly. So I wonder if the next thing is going to be an automatic call. You know, if the bank doesn't like the interest rates that they're having to pay out, they can terminate your loan or something stupid like that. Well, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if something was somebody cropped up and popped that into loan documents somewhere. They'll label it something like force majeure or they'll come up yeah. with a financial majeure or whatever. You know, in the event of an unexpected crisis, I mean, where the bank it. deems itself insecure, the bank can terminate the loan and, you know, accelerate oh, yeah. or some, some such yeah. uh, thing. Exactly. But uh, one thing that happened in the last go around is it used to be that commercial loans, if they adjusted, it could adjust upward or downward. It could mm -hmm. be lower than whatever you got the original loan. There was never a floor. Well, after the banks got burned with that, when rates went way below and they were having to adjust their loans at much lower interest rates, they all got smart and said, no, 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 no. In the future, your loan, your interest rate is never going to be below the rate that you got when you first yep. set the loan up. Exactly. Well, yeah. So. Well, and we've seen this before with adjustable rate mortgages. Yeah, everybody mm -hmm. back in the 80s got eaten alive by them. So what they do, they took them out of circulation, repackaged them. It's like put new lipstick on that pig. And now we have variable rate mortgages. Yeah, they just changed the name and gussy it up a little bit. Same thing. We're right back in that. Now the excitement is over. You know, the party is winding down and there's a bill to be paid. And well, despite... No, go ahead, Jeff. All I was going to say is the funny thing when you say the bill is to be paid, it gets paid by some people, but it doesn't get paid by other people. And we will see certain CEOs groveling back to the Fed uh, for help, whereas you and I wouldn't be able to pry the door open to go see the Feds in the first place. And as a result, you and I, if we're involved in a real estate deal, we have to be very careful. We have to. We can't leverage ourselves to oblivion. 
And because we know there's nobody that's going to bail us out. Whereas that is the big guys, true. Whereas the big guys, I think, in the J.P. Morgans, the Chase, well, Chase is part of J.P. Morgan, but Citibank, Bank, those guys. Bank of America. Bank of America. They know that they're too big to fail and that mm-hmm. they have a certain amount of mistakes they can make, which is pretty much unlimited, apparently, and they'll still mm-hmm. get bailed out by the feds. Mm-hmm. So I think, unfortunately, I think the American taxpayer always is going to get shellacked with this thing one way or the other. Oh, yeah. Well, we've talked about the moral hazard. It's gone. You, know? it's yeah. just, you can do what you want. I mean, one of my favorite examples was the meeting that Donald Trump had with his creditors. He walked in, put the keys on the conference table and said, hey, guys, Here's your real estate. And they said, oh, no, you don't, Mr. Trump. <laughs> You're not putting us out of business. But it's fabulous real estate. Yeah, of course it is. That, that was the um, gambling casino in uh, yep. Atlantic City, the Taj yep. Mahal. Oh, yeah. yeah. That didn't work out well for really anybody other than Mr. Trump, Cyber Gall. You know what? <laughs> Again, it's capitalism at its finest. But it's just like anything else. You're going to have some good, some winners, some losers, and some bad actors. Don't hate the player, hate the game, you know? Mr. Weaver, we are getting red carded again. It's that time, our hour. And I think we've pretty much rambled and explored quite a few topics and diverse opinions. I want to thank you for joining me again on the Global News Network of the Omaha Bugle. And I will see you in the next session. Once again, Adam Von Romer and Jeff Weaver, senior correspondents from the Omaha Bugles Global News Network. Thank you for joining us.